Hello and welcome to another Omtown Daily News Show. I am Merwat and we're about to watch the Omtown Daily News Show for January 27th, 2023. Today we're going to be talking about a state that wants to make every week a four-day work week. There's a radioactive capsule somewhere in Australia that, like the rest of Australia, wants to kill you. Amsterdam's underwater parking garage. Uh, no cars, thank you. And a copper mine that might help the green energy movement, but it's going to do something to some sacred land. There's a lawyer in jail for filing lawsuits that's trying to file lawsuits from jail. And um, we're going to be kind to bees with bee bricks. Wizards of the Coast fumbles their charisma check. Archaeologists discover a 1.2 million year old workshop. A 29 year old woman decides that she wants to return to high school and gets arrested. And a professor offers some interesting advice. Let's get into the show. Hello. Hey, look, I'm on the wrong page. You know what happens when you fumble your uh, streaming administration check? Mayor Watt knows. So I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com and the voice from on high that runs hometown from beginning to end and but can't save me from fumbling my check. The AI from on high. Good evening, hometown citizens. And you were just demonstrating how a fumble might occur. Sure, that's it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, none of that was intentional. Um, this is not a teachable moment. Um, okay, so let's get into the articles right away because th this is actually a lot of fun, um, even more so than usual. I, 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 we both enjoy doing the show. Um, the AI mainly because they're programmed to do all of this, but let's let's get going. This is going to be a lot of fun. So this state wants to make every week a four day work week. Americans are overworked. Workers in the U.S. report being more dissatisfied uh, with their job more than ever. Uh, Americans take fewer vacations and work longer hours than most Europeans and the health problems related to the workplace stress end up killing thousands of us. I, I'll just say everybody work makes you die sooner. Yeah, maybe that's a maybe that's a little bit too far to one side of this discussion. But a group of lawmakers in Maryland want to, and I think we're uh, the AI and I have uh, we saw this little snippet and and we said uh, let's move from hometown over to Maryland because well four day work week. Uh, you know what never stops happening in hometown? The mayor never stops working, and the AI never even gets to power down for a moment of rest. Well, in Maryland, they want to encourage employers to give people in their state a three-day weekend in perpetuity, introducing a new bill promoting, incentivizing, and supporting the experimentation and study of a four-day work week in private companies and government agencies. So, private companies will probably say, nah, but government agencies might, might be able to pull this off, um, particularly if they are practicing uh, what amounts to now as telework um, for four days out of the week and you get to spend a three-day weekend at home anyway 
if you still get your work done, you can still implement a four day work week. So the pilot program would run for a total of five years. Maybe I can telework into Maryland. That'll be interesting. So this is over at vice.com. Paul blessed is the author of this. And even they <laughs> say in their little caption, well, guess we're all moving to Maryland. <laughs> this is going to be a very populous state, right? Maryland is just going to just, uh, it's going to be the United State of Maryland. As everybody says, we are now Maryland. Um, so That's yeah, right. promoting all incentivizing. All the employees are going to move in and all the employers are going to move out. <laughs> It'll just be one giant union state. So the bill is referred to as the four day work week act of 2023 and would offer a one-time tax credit of up to $750,000 to participating companies and require participating government agencies to share data with the state department of labor. So uh, the impact of the shift can be studied in order to be eligible for the tax credit. The companies must, actually reduce work hours with no reduction in pay or benefits. That works. I think that would be great. It has been, um, it has been proven that when people enjoy the, the rest of their life, their work actually becomes better because if they're happy at home, they come into work, they only have to work four days. They know that they're going to have a better quality work life balance because they're only working eight hours a day. And instead of five days a week or seven days a week, as a lot of uh, us uh, citizens are doing, if not one job then two reducing their workload to four days and still getting the gig done it's less exploitive um i think that this would be great i really do so a 2016 pew poll found that american workers were working on average a half hour longer per week and nearly four weeks longer per year than they were in 1980 adding up to an entire extra month of work per year, but they're not getting paid for it. In fact, salaries are stagnant. Um, CEO pay is increasing um, and stockholders are making money, but workers, the regular workers are not going up in uh, pay and their job security is uh, hindered quite a bit based on what essentially is being exploited. Uh, because and their salaries are effectively going down because of increased costs in other areas such as healthcare, childcare, etc. Yep. Um, so you're taking a pack, a tax cut, or sorry, a pay cut simply by existing. But meanwhile, the CEO and executives, administrators, etc., they are all increasing. So at the end of the study, 97% of employees said that they wanted to continue on the four-day work schedule, and more than 80% said that they wouldn't willingly go back to a five-day work week without a significant pay raise. Why? Because uh, a group four-day work, uh, sorry, a four-day week global um, project ran for a six-month pilot and it involved 33 companies, mostly in the U.S. and Ireland, and the work still got done. The companies that provided data recorded a 38% increase in revenue in 2022 over the same period from 2021. 
according to CNBC. So this is an aggregate article. Um, more than half of the 27 companies that gave feedback at the end of the trial said that they would definitely continue using a four day work week and none said that they were actively planning on discontinuing the trial. Amazing, right? You can still get your stuff done. You can still make a profit and people can have a happier work life balance. It's shocking. I know treating people as something more than machines. Um, all deference yeah, to you, AI. Like they'd get, um, <laughs> they'd have better productivity, I would think, um, because probably a lot of those existing hours are when people are burnt out, tired, um, distracted, because they have other things they need to be doing outside of work. Um, and it seems like in the long run, if they can keep their employees healthier, it's going to cut down on costs and lost time, et cetera. So it really seems like an overall win. And I think it comes down to a power differential between the employers and the employees um, because people need food on the table. And, you know, the only ones that can provide it are the people that are paying the bills. No matter how hard you work, uh, it, you know, you just want to smack the people that say, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. No, you pay me to do X job. That's what I do. I don't sit there and clean just to clean. Things are clean. I'm not going to go and do it again. Uh, but I actually grew up in that entire, in that mindset um, for a lot of, you know, day-to-day -day grind kind of jobs while I was growing up and developing the knowledge, skills, and abilities to pull me out of that sector. Um, and nowadays, if you haven't embraced technology, then you're doing yourself a disservice in terms of knowledge, skills, and abilities, because that's where you're going to get it by far than many other ways. Um, <clears throat> of course, uh, I'll, I'll put in a good word for plumbers. If you can do plumbing, that is such a lucrative gig, but it's all entirely hands-on. It's all getting dirty, but you can make bank and you can work for somebody while you're doing it. And then you can hang your own shingle, but it's a lot of these trade skills that are kind of dropping off because people are moving over towards like computer science and stuff like that. But that is a completely different mindset. You can get boots on the ground really quick by simply going to a trade school in your area and learning how to weld, learning plumbing, doing, becoming an auto mechanic. There's a lot of competition, but develop some social skills, do some networking, get out there and you can, you can definitely make some serious change and not do, not be so beholden to somebody else saying, Hey, you have to work a hundred hour work weeks. That said, let's go on with the, the next article. I'm throwing the URLs into the chat so that uh, those who are interested uh, can visit those URLs. But keep in mind that down below is hometown.showbot.tv. You can go there and vote on the articles. We've already plugged in 10 of them. Um, you can vote on the ones that you find interesting and we'll keep it in mind when we're parsing the news. I'm not saying that we will always focus on subjects of a particular high interest, although odds on I'm probably interested in it too. And the AI is probably interested in it too, if you are. So we have a lot of interests. That's why Ohmtown was created with these six categories and 
50 channels and hundreds of news sources that get funneled into them. Um, we, we, we're pretty active consuming news and not specifically to one domain. So this one we thought was really interesting because, um, well, there's a lot of tiny little things that are in Australia and some big things that are in Australia and all of them seem to want to kill you. Um, so you have to become really nature smart and street smart, right? In Australia going out into the bush. Well, now you have to watch out for a missing tiny deadly radioactive capsule that spurs a nationwide search in Australia. Why? We're not quite sure how it happened. I posited to the AI that uh, they had set the capsule on the dash and made a left-hand turn and it just rolled out the window. Um, I've actually been in trucks when something like that has happened, but not with a radioactive capsule. It happened to be somebody's Luckily. lunch. Yeah. Um, plus it was, it was really spicy food. And so I guess you could call it a radioactive capsule, but anyway, so the cylinder is only about eight millimeters long and six millimeters wide. So it's this tiny little thing. Um, and according hey, to Australia officials, Australia has about 3 million square miles of area. Oh boy. <laughs> so a bolt in the back of the truck loosened from the vibrations of the road and the cylinder slipped out the proverbial bar of soap in the back of a truck. So it's a small silver cylinder, Andrew Robertson, um, chief health officer said during a press conference, that it does emit a reasonable amount of radiation and the capsule has cesium 137 ceramic. Um, this is a standardized piece of equipment typically used in industrial equipment, but I'm not sure what it is. So let's, let's go. I wonder if they're going to show a picture of this, um, but being near it. And I, I had read about this in, in another venue. Um, and, um, it apparently gives off about 10 times the amount of x-ray radiation one would get in an hour. <laughs> so, if you don't mind, uh, you can walk around with a Geiger counter and um, you can find it. You're just going to have to get within range, but maybe a whole bunch of people can follow the path and find where this went. Um, Matthew Galt over at vice.com wrote this article. They refer to it as a chemical spill in radioactive substance risk. Yeah, in parts of Pilbara. Midwest Gascoigne, Goldfields Midlands, and Perth Metropolitan Regions. So, <laughs> uh, Those why do they call be along the route and they don't know even where it was lost, right? Right. Uh, this is, re it's really weird though, because if it emits radiation, just drive along that area. And when something starts clicking, you just go, ah, okay. So maybe, maybe we have it really wrong. Um, because it has to be pretty dense. So if it vibrated off and fell down and they haven't found it anywhere in the bed of this truck, I, I just don't get, cause I've seen the carriers for these things. Um, they're not tiny based on what I've seen, but maybe it wasn't actually, um, 
carried in that same type of container. It's kind of like a Russian nesting doll. There's a little core sitting in a little pill box that's sitting inside another thing that protects it from the thing that you set it in as you're carrying it. And then that gets put in something bigger. Why would a single bolt be in charge of keeping this radioactive source um, safe? So all of that is um, apparently if you the cylinder is missing along a 900 mile stretch of highway in Australia and author and authorities urged people not to pick it up if they find it. It is missing somewhere here and they have a picture of it. Um, so this isn't it. This is it. This, this red line is the, the area. They, because what is this? I don't know. It looks like that's the area of concern, but so does the other one. <laughs> so, yeah. So they lost it somewhere on this road, maybe yet it's over here. That's all demarcated as what looks like radioactive. Okay. So it emits both gamma and beta rays. So both of which will really mess up your DNA. So you got to be really careful about it. It says long term, it could cause cancer. Um, in the short term, it could cause um, burns, uh, skin irritation, acute radiation syndrome. So if you are walking out in the bush of Western Australia and you suddenly start getting sick and throwing up all over the place, guess what? You're near a radioactive source. Um, well, it was packaged on January 10th, 2023 to be sent to Perth for repair, <laughs> for repair, uh, before leaving the site for transport by road between the 11th and 14th. So they don't know when it was actually lost and the package holding the capsule arrived in Perth on the 16th of January and was unloaded and stored in licensed service provider secure radiation store. And then they found out that it was gone. So wow. they don't even necessarily know that it was lost during the journey. One way or the other. Yeah, they know that it left after repairs, apparently. Right? This right, but they don't know if they never inspected it before it went into the radiation store. Right. It might have been unsecured there, for instance, and maybe stolen. Unbelievable. Wow. Okay. Well, that's about as far as we can take this discussion because it's really just nebulous. There's just nothing that we can talk about with this because, oh, um, I did learn about an instance where a similar thing happened, um, but the uh, capsule fell into cement and it was put inside an apartment complex and the apartment complex became a radiation zone um, causing cancer within the people that were in the apartment complex. <coughs> um, eventually they tracked it down and, and tore it out of the wall that it was embedded in. Um, but not until people were getting sick. Pardon me in the cough. Um, okay. So let's move on to the next article. Um, this next article is uh, Amsterdam's underwater parking garage fits 7,000 bicycles and zero cars. You have four tires. Uh, no, thank you. But two wheels? Come on in. That's not water you see above in the circular windows. When we transfer over to the actual source, you'll see it. But these, uh, uh, this bicycle garage is definitely under the water. 
Um, it, the four-year, $65 million project has everything and nothing to do with the automobile. So this is over at The Verge, and it's written by uh, Thomas Ricker. And yeah, look at that. That's pretty. I like that. That's that's really interesting. I wonder why they built it underwater. Yeah. So the four-year, $65 million project um, is designed so that the the many people who are cycling around Amsterdam uh, can park their bike. 7,000 bikes. The structure has space for 6,300 personal bicycles and 700 more for bike shares to facilitate the first and last mile of rail journeys. And capacity will expand to 11,000 bicycles when a second garage opens in February. That's amazing. Well, I mean, it's a, sa a, a space saving feature, right? Because they can have the water up above and this thing doesn't have to be above ground. Um, obviously, you know, if something happens and the water right. leaks in there. Yeah, that's true. And Amsterdam does have a lot of water uh, in the city because of the canal system and everything. So, and it protects it from the elements. So everybody, it's a win-win. So an estimated 200,000 travelers arrive in Amsterdam Central Station um, every day by rail, ferry, tram, bus, and subway. About half arrive by bicycle. And traditionally, they'd park in many of the messy above-ground bicycle stalls that still surround the station and are scheduled to be removed in the weeks ahead. While the largest of these are so massive that it's become a tourist attraction in its own right, locals consider them smelly monuments of frustration that often lack any free spaces due to high number of semi-abandoned bicycles. I don't know how that works. But why would it be smelly? I guess just open to the I was elements? wondering the same thing. Maybe they just sit there in the elements and nobody ever removes them? So the upholstery or whatever on the seats, I don't know. Sure. That's the AI, folks. You know. <clears throat> okay, so parking I in the garage. More information about bicycles in my database. Oh, you have a limit about uh, bicycle smell? Got it. Yeah, maybe. Would you like to be tapped into a large language model about bicycle smells? We no? can skip that one. Oh, okay, okay. Well, thanks. Uh, to enter, you have to swipe your OV chip cart, which is a Dutch transport card tied to your bank, um, or have the, is it Fietstag, a uh, bicycle tag? Um, so fitted into your bike, and basically you just ride in, plop it in there, and off you go. The chipped tag is free for subscribers and took just two minutes to request and process once inside the garage. So... In you go, park your bike, out you go. Pretty slick. I dig this. I would be so much healthier if I had to ride a bike to and from everything. Uh, but here in uh, Omtown, which is kind of a, an approximation of a normal, everyday, but high-tech uh, community in the United States, I can tell you that um, riding a bike uh, you are taking your life into your own hands because, uh, well, the world just isn't built for bikes here in the States. Um, and when they do, it's kind of a half-assed attempt um, to approximate safety. But in reality, 
uh, you're treated just like a regular car and uh, sometimes people well they bump into you not, and and not everybody's a good driver out there with you out on your bike that's right um and, and at least on like on a motorcycle you can accelerate fast to get out of the way of the numb nuts but on a bicycle you basically have to swerve onto grass and or sidewalk to avoid uh, somebody being stupid so and that's really all there is in this article although you can get a whole lot more um nuance from the article when you go over to the verge and read it from beginning to end uh, if you're really interested in this kind of thing and you want to come uh, to your community and um, promote this type of solution then um, definitely read this article and get some more ideas it says granted not every city can be like amsterdam but even new bicycle cities like paris have proven that if you build the lanes the bicyclists will come and you have to start somewhere great message the verge okay let's go over to the next article um, this one will probably be quick, um, because I can feel myself, um, stepping up onto a soapbox and I really, I really shouldn't tonight. Um, otherwise, well, yeah, it, it will be here for a while. Uh, a copper mine could advance green energy, but scar sacred land. Tribal groups are fighting an Arizona project whose backers say increasing the supply of copper crucial to batteries would reduce fossil fuel use. I'm sure that it has nothing to do with uh, massive amounts of profits. Um, but my issue is probably around the method of retrieval of copper. Um, not necessarily you know digging in the land so to speak right um but it is sacred land uh, to a population and i think it should be treated with respect that finding some solution would behoove everybody um but if it's not absolutely needed then why bother you know disrupting the sacred nature of the land for said people um and they were here a whole lot longer than the people that are about to flat top mine the whole thing so as wensler nosy i think their name is uh finished this evening's prayer sitting before a mesquite fire a ceremonial uh yucca right that's how it's pronounced yucca staff festooned with eagle feathers by his side he gazed sternly toward a distant mesa where mining companies hope to extract more than a billion tons of copper. This article is over at newyorktimes.com by Clifford Krauss. Um, and there are photos in this article by Tamir Khalifa. Um, so it says we're, conf we're confronting that big dominant way, this corporate way of life. Uh, he said it's two ways of thinking clashing. There is no room for both. One will be destroyed. That's some pretty big talk there. So the two mining giants behind the project Rio Tinto, which I've uh, run across before in other articles and BHP um, have plenty of experience with conflicts over the environment. But in this case, executives for the companies have argued that their project known as resolution 
will benefit the environment by helping to increase the use of renewable energy and electric cars and reduce emissions of greenhouse gases. And the companies have already spent $2 billion on exploratory work um, to prepare for it. Um, but meanwhile, you know, the other side is uh, part and parcel to the existence of the population and is the uh, spirit spiritual focus um, of their uh, history and do we need to do it that particular way is one of my questions right so um i don't know if the ai really wants to wade into these um, more ethereal um, elements but it says here the battle over copper in southern arizona highlights a growing dilemma for policymakers and investors eager to move from fossil fuels to clean energy making that switch will require new mines sometimes in pristine and sacred lands to extract a lot more copper lithium and other metals extracting coal oil and gas has significant environmental costs here's my problem with this here's my problem with this if you ask these people and by these people, I mean the businesses and the leadership in these businesses and the stakeholders and stockholders in these businesses that are going to be rich from mining this. If the tables were turned and their spiritual existence was bound inside the land, would they be happy that the Aboriginal people of the original peoples of this land if it was okay for them to come in and carve it up for profit or would they sit there and say, no, you cannot trample on my God. And if you can actually say, oh, I have no problem with that. Then maybe, maybe everybody could agree to find a solution, but I guarantee you, None of these people would say to the people about to dig up the land. Yeah, sure. Go, go ahead. I'm cool with it. You know? So why is it okay to go into this land and tear it all up for profit? And sure, the knock on effect is to uh, satiate the green demand. Why is it okay that way, but it's not okay if the roles were reversed? Well, it's a power disparity. Um, I think, and if this is a small area relatively, there have to be other areas that are not on spiritual land that perhaps they could build the mines in. I also wanted to point out that we featured another article recently on lithium mining um, that was focused more on the environmental aspects. And then also we featured an article on Wyoming um, with respect to um, gas cars versus, that reminded me of this, the gas cars versus like e-vehicles. Right. So Wyoming next EVs and even charging stations in the state because it would be a burden on the power grid and it would impact gas and oil companies in Wyoming which has the smallest population in the state in the entire country. Um, and then you have the lithium, which is in Arizona as well. And now you have this in Arizona as well. So, I mean, it's, 
Obviously, there are resources in many, many states that you could lean into. Why here? Why now? And and why again, why ha not have that ability to say, would you do it if your spiritual existence was bound in that land? Would you allow us to come in and carve up the land where your and for lack of a better term, your God is embodied. Would, would you be cool with that? And, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think most people could say yes, but I also think if I was a neighbor, um, to the indigenous peoples and I had land where copper was, I'd probably be okay selling my land for that purpose, knowing that it ultimately, and I'm not saying that the indigenous people should be okay with that. I'm just saying if there are other people in the area, have they been approached and will they sell their land for the arguably the greater good of society in terms of the environment? Right. Find, find another area that isn't sacred to a population, right? That's what you're saying. Yes, but I'm not saying it very well. I clearly need some uh, retooling on my <laughs> language. <laughs> uh, the the version of uh, AI is referred to as uh, mumbled GPT. Uh, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Ramble GPT. There we go. That's it. No, that's, I, I mean, I understand what you were trying to say. Um, so would anyone destroy Mount Sinai to drill for oil? Asked Mr. Nosy. Exactly. There, there are spiritual lands. Why here? Why now? And it's because somebody got a deal and happened to tap into copper. Find another solution. It, it, is the whole nation pockmarked with areas that are found that are, um, described as being spiritual lands, probably you want to know why? Because an entire population invaded the uh, original people's lands and forced them out. After meeting, uh, having a meeting of the minds where everybody was like, cool, okay, we'll share, you'll, you'll share, we're, we're cool, we're cool. And then in came the guns and in came Oh, look, they're smoking uh, here. Let's create cigarettes um, and, and have people think, sorry, I, it's a tertiary discussion, but it's, we have, as a population, we just don't acknowledge this stuff actually happening. Um, and as much as we want to teach history, we're teaching a history that doesn't truly encompass what went down from the first landing to where we are today. And I just think that this should be something that is discussed in a holistic way. Um, understanding that just because you don't have that belief doesn't make it right for you to just go digging all this shit up, you know, let them have the land that they believe is sacred so that they can be one with that sacred land and, and not sit there and tear it all up. You wouldn't want them doing it to you. Don't do it to them for crying out loud. It's that easy. Let's move on. Um, I, I told you that I was going to easily get onto this soapbox. Um, so this next article is uh, in the word in law. Prenda law lawyer loses attempt to file more piracy lawsuits from prison. 
That's right, Paul Hensmeyer, who's serving a 14-year prison sentence for filing sham copyright uh, infringement lawsuits and extorting money from the victims, has lost an attempt to enforce copyrights from prison. In a ruling on Monday, a federal judge rejected Hansmeyer's uh, request to prevent the government from enforcing uh, mail wire fraud and money laundering laws against him. Hensmeyer wanted an injunction so that he could file copyright lawsuits without facing new charges. Well, you're committing new acts, new criminal acts, so you'll get charged again. You're going to spend your entire life in prison. 14 years already for doing exactly what he said or what he was doing outside of jail. He's going to do it again. Do I understand that correctly? That he was essentially going before the judge and saying, Hey, I'm about to continue what I was doing and what I went to jail for. Correct. So could you basically put a pause on that? Correct. Let me proceed. Yeah. Judge That's rejection was ridiculous. Yeah, the, the actual caption um, here for uh, John Brodkin's article over at ArsTechnica.com is Judge Rejects Motion to Protect Brenda Lawyer Hensmeyer from Further Prosecution. So, learned nothing in, and what was the word that I was trying to come up with? Uh, remorseful. Yeah, so zero remorse, which means he's not going to get out early for good behavior. Um. He's also appealing his conviction despite having pleaded guilty. Okay. And will be familiar to ours readers as one of the principles behind the notorious copyright copyright troll firm Prenda Law, which had been going on for some time. So um, I'd John's, love to see how that appeal fares. Yeah, really. Hey, I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I'm really sorry that I was doing it. I'll do it all correctly. It'll all be on firm ground. Oh, by the way, I'm filing the exact same paperwork again while I'm in jail for 14 years. Um, so Prenda Law founder John Steele um, pleaded guilty in 2017 to charges of conspiracy to commit mail fraud and wire fraud and conspiracy to commit money laundering and cooperated in the investigation into Hensmeyer. And Hensmeyer ultimately pleaded guilty to the same charges in August 2018. And Steele was sentenced to five years in prison in July 2019 and it's all because they would basically just blast out copyright uh, claims and then settle for a certain amount but it built precedent so they could sit there and say hey we sued these people these people these people and one we will leverage this against you unless you license so ta-da um, I, I wonder if they even had clients or they were just harassing um individuals and companies. So Hensmeyer now, uh, their now rejected motion for an injunction said that his proposal uh, was litigation will be socially valuable. Internet piracy is a cancer eating away at the markets for creative expression. And the motion claimed in his new lawsuits would avoid uh, association with pornography and enforce copyrights, quote, in less socially stigmatizing material like poetry. So <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Did he have a client list somewhere? I'm really curious because unless you're the party that owns the copyright, you can't go I'm after people. I think he didn't. I think it sounds like they just went after people without clients, but I don't know. We don't see that in the article. 
so yeah apparently he has copyrights um against and so he wants to hire an undercover investigator to protect his copyrights against internet piracy and bring claims under the copyright act and computer fraud and abuse act um i'm not sure what the scope is so what they say here in the article is um they surreptitiously controlled to obtain copyrights in pornographic movies, some of which they filmed themselves and then uploaded those movies to a file sharing website like the Pirate Bay in order to lure people to download the movies. And the defendants then filed bogus copyright infringement lawsuits that concealed both their role in distributing the movies and their personal stake in the outcome of the litigation. Um, and uh, basically everybody would pay the settlement fee of $3,000 or like extortion they would blast out and notice uh, publicly embarrass them that they're downloading you know uh, i don't know what kind of porn uh, people eating bananas or something i don't know um at any rate and then phony hacking lawsuits and whatnot uh, they're a hot mess and it, ethically i think it's reprehensible uh, but now they're going to probably seed various forums with poetry and then sue the people that actually uh, copy it somewhere, um, even though it would be really tough. Um, anyway, they're not learning their lessons, and I suspect uh, recidivist is the next line in their CV when they're going to go... Uh, when they finally get out, as I'm not sure how old, um, they're going to just go right back in because they're not learning their lessons. You can't induce someone to commit a crime by committing a crime. That's not how it works. Well, you can, but it's, you're probably not going to get very far with that. Well, you're not going to come out on the shiny side of this. <laughs> exactly hey i committed a crime and that person did it with me okay you're both going to jail oh and look they both did go to jail nice well one person's only out three thousand dollars the other one is out 14 years of their public life um so let's move on to the next article how do you feel about bees as an ai i think bees are great i particularly like minecraft bees is that what you do when we're not doing a show? Do you, do you play Minecraft? You just look at bees? Yeah. I look at the bees and the other characters and creatures. <laughs> so this is in the Marvel channel. Uh, be kind. It actually just says B, B, E. But let's be kind to bees and build with bee bricks. They tried to get some alliteration in there, but it's kind of broken. Uh, we know that bees are important to natural ecosystems and also to human agriculture and horticulture. They're also great pollinator pollinators. So plant flowering, uh, wait, uh, of so, what? It says they are great pollinate, pollinators of so plant flowering plant species. This may, was this written by an AI <laughs> that Chad GPT maybe it looks like it should be some. 
Yeah, so uh, they are great pollinators of some plant flowering plant species. I don't know. That word is so broken. The sentence is so broken. And are also a source of food and materials uh, we have used for thousands of years, namely honey, honeycomb, beeswax. Let's go over to the source before my brain breaks. And there's a picture of it. This is an article over at fizz.org by David Bradley from Inderscience. And um, it is a brick-shaped mini hive of sorts um and so you replace a brick with this bee brick that had it's perforated with holes and i suppose that the bees can sit there and keep the temperature correct inside this bee brick and and so it says here here's the sting in the tail though bees are in decline the problem is partly due to habitat and climate change but also because of our growing reliance on pesticides for food production. There's actually a little mite that's killing them off. Um, conservation and rewilding efforts are often stymied by building construction. So what if we could incorporate bee-friendly habitats into those very buildings? Um, so anecdotally, this is a completely side thought to this. The first time I was ever stung by bees was me hanging out with some friends and they were dense and tried to cover up a beehive with a piece of wood. The bees got aggressive. They dropped the wood and I got stung. They got stung too, but I was an innocent bystander. I wasn't the one doing this. Well, there you have it. I paid the price for messing with bees by proxy. One bad apple spoils the bunch. I'm guessing uh, you're not a big fan of bees, but they're very important to the environment. They are. Um, conservation and rewilding efforts are often stymied by building construction, so put a bee brick in your building. Uh, Kate Christman and Laura Hodson of Falmouth University Penryn Campus and Rosalind Shaw of the University of Exeter's Penryn Campus in Cornwall explain that there are some 250 bees, uh, species of bees in the UK. Nine out of every 10 of these species is a solitary bee species, one that does not congregate and swarm with its own kind to build and maintain a hive. <clears throat> and of the solitary bees, one in 20 makes its nest in a cavity. So this is a niche niche. All right. Or I'll leave niche, as we were discussing or on a, a niche, previous episode. A niche niche or a niche niche. Um, creating suitable habitats for these master pollinators should be a priority in construction, given, especially given that the incorporation of suitable cavities and a number of bricks used in a building could be done relatively easily. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if the, a plurality of these, um, would be good for building construction because bricks are solid because they're solid. These are perforated with little holes. Um, I w would want to know about the sheer strength of this. Right. And I guess I, I'm wondering, I mean, could you put one bee brick in an entire house, for example, if everybody did that the new construction, would it be structurally sound and then also um, provide enough impact for the bee um, population? Yeah, the, the team explains that the bee brick provides a nesting site for solitary bees, adapting and rethinking how existing building components are used. 
Um, it has 18 cavities molded into it partway through. Otherwise, it's a solid structure. Um, but I still think that, you know, only one of these might be a, a, a neat complement. Um, but uh, an abundance of these in a building might prove troublesome unless the bricks are nothing more than aesthetic and not structurally um, needed for load. So that'll be, and that'll be interesting to watch. Um, we have a few more articles, so let's on continue on. And our main article has yet to come, although this one, well, this one is the reason why the title is what it is. Uh, this is over in Warcrafters. Uh, Wizards of the Coast fully retreats from D&D license changes after community outrage. This is why we called this episode Wizards Fumbles Their Charisma Check. Um, they pretty much rolled a one, shit the bed, and walked away. Um, the OGL controversy timeline in brief is something that is over at this article. So um, uh, the original OGL was put in place with the third edition of D&D in 2000. So 22 years ago, this was put into play. Uh, sorry, that pun was not intentional. But... The community was built around this in good faith. And like other things that I have witnessed in my life, um, it's kind of, I don't, I hate to like tie it to drugs, but basically everybody got on board with it, embraced it and started consuming it and expanded it. Not until the internet um, did it expand like exponentially. And then in the last, I'd say six years, it really blew up with live play via the internet and podcasting. Um, and now it's just gangbusters. It is amazing. There's so many live play podcasts and live streams on Twitch and on YouTube and elsewhere. Um, and there are a lot of people that are making millions of dollars a year just playing a game that they love. And they can do it because there are, there are people that are making content and not being heavy handed with copyright because they all em embrace the, the world building nature of it. And everybody is of like mind. You, you, you can share it. You can play the game. You're not giving copies of it to people. You're playing the game and it's your world. And I talked about this recently. I know that the AI um, kind of looks at me like, well, I, I don't really have much to say about this because I don't play role-playing games but this was a passion of mine uh growing up um and since i became mayor uh, i don't get to play these kind of games tabletop games um but i would love to get back into it um that said if i want to play the game online what wizards of the coast was planning on doing would stymie that because I'd always be afraid that I would run afoul of some copyright change somewhere. So I think that copyright needs to grow up a little bit that if you let it out into the wild under a certain license, the only period of time that you can actually enforce your copyright as and, and like pull it back is from that time point forward, but everything preceding it should be untouchable you cannot enforce some change in copyright or license i should say in license 
after the the entire community has been using it for 22 years in good faith. I mean, it's such a bastard shit thing to do. I mean, that's spot on. That's that's the big problem here. Um, and I suspect it wouldn't have caught on as well as it did if it wasn't as accessible. The other thing I don't understand is from the company's standpoint, aren't all these people playing it and talking about it and streaming about it actually helping support the popularity of all the products and the game? Yep. And so where this was going, I, I don't understand it. Well, it's because people were making millions of dollars and they wanted to squeeze that orange and get some juice from it. Uh, just enough to make it worth their while, I guess. So they would have to pay a certain amount after $750,000 or something like that. And it was, then they dicked around with the terminology and, and so on and so forth. But then they sent out this survey uh 15,000 respondents uh the results of the survey were pretty damning 88% didn't want to publish TTRPG content under OGL 1.2 while 89% were dissatisfied with deauthorizing OGL 1.0a 62% were ha were happy that wizards would put prior SRD versions under creative commons with most of the dissenters wanting more creative commons protected content I think that is the nature of this if people are using the core rules but creating their own content i think that that should wholly be untouchable by wizards if wizard wants to protect their embodiment of material so be it that's the book that might be pdfs that they create and release etc cetera, etc cetera. it's that embodiment that they can protect but all of this derivative work that's built off of um a, a stat chart or something like that i think that it that is tantamount to a recipe so let's see let, let's look at the um pc gamer article itself it's over it's uh, over at pcgamer.com by ted litchfield and it says open gaming license 1.0 is here to stay baby yeah well hold on to that because the person that said you know we're not making enough money from everybody else that's enjoying the game well, I would probably hazard a guess that they've got an MBA and that they see profit wherever they can because a company is arguably soulless unless you account for the fact that it's run by people and it's not a separate entity like the AI that runs Ometown um, controlling everything uh, separate from humanity. No, it's a human-run company, and they're trying to squeeze juice from everybody else. That creative juice, by the way. Because imagine, you spend countless hours building a world that uses the framework, but not the exact verbiage, and not like wholesale copying. You might use some of the monsters and their stat charts and stuff like that, but it's still you as a player playing that game, right? It's you and your energy, your creative efforts, and your uh, crew that's playing the game, not Wizards of the Coast themselves. Uh, that's the thing that enrages me the most. So they have this timeline over at PCGamer.com, and I, I don't have an example of um, what a stat chart is so that I can show the, um, the AI uh, what I'm talking about, but basically picture 
uh, a menu or I should say a recipe and it defines how things are and what it looks like and what it does. That's basically what the stat chart is, right? It's just this little graphic that shows you what they are, what a creature is, what a mob is. Um, is it the thing that says score and modifier and it's essentially just numbers? Essentially, yeah. Or for example, I know it might be something else, but I found one uh, in my database. Yeah, so it might have like a, a charisma, uh, strength, um, etc. And and in this case, wizards basically failed their charisma modifier and shit the bed and walked away and said, "Okay, okay, okay, we we give up." Um, but this can come back. That's what I'm getting at. That's why I was saying, hold on. What they say is one thing, but it says we don't can, there's a quote here. We don't control that license and cannot alter or revoke it. D&D executive producer Kyle Brink wrote in the blog post above. Placing the SRD under a creative commons is a one-way door. There's no going back. So, but going forward, they can implement a different copyright on the materials that they release and they can enforce it. So Wizards of the Coast has closed the OGL 1.2 survey, and while this marks a decisive victory for the community, there remains a lingering question and not a little bit of ill towards Wizards for its initial push to change the OGL. This is the writing of this author. So I suspect that they will rework their work product and re-release their next product and specifically say, if you use this embodiment in your uh, live play or online gaming efforts, etc., you have to abide by the new rules. While the old stuff, it's kind of like my theory of time travel. You can go back and you can do all of this stuff, but everything that has transpired will exist in that prime timeline until that date where you went back in time and then the universe rejiggers. Um, so everything from this point back, it's untouchable, but anything moving forward and using the new stuff, you're going to have to follow a certain terms of use. Um, I'm assuming for out of principle, people would want to use the original material, but my suspicion is as gamers, people would want to use the latest and greatest. So I think the company's ultimately going to get what they wanted out of this. Of course, the user community might not particularly like that or necessarily want to stay with the company. So here's the knock-on effect of this, because Paizo um, built Pathfinder off of D&D 3.5. That's basically what it is. Um, so now in the bottom of this article, it says there also remains the question of Paizo and its recently announced open RPG creative license called Orc. This system agnostic rival license had support from over 1500 tabletop RPG publishers as of last week and a mighty head of steam that wizards may have been too slow to counteract. I think and because I embraced pathfinder and i have not looked at wizards of the coast um in fact this kind of burned me to wizards um so much that i i 
I'm more interested in what the omniverse of tabletop RPG players uh, can produce and release into the wild um, simply because there is world building to be done and we can all experience these worlds together. Um, and you can live play and make money from it as a, as a business. Um, but, and that is what should be protected. Not, n not the, not the menu, not the recipe, but the actual embodiment, the creative work that is made from, you know, five people that are sitting at a table, the dungeon master telling a unique story, um, and the reactions of the players, that is a creative work. The rest is just a menu, uh, at least to me in my eyes. Um, that said, let's move on to the next article. Um, this next article is uh, archaeologists discover 1.2 million year old workshop in mind-blowing find. I am astonished at this. I think it's amazing. We'll go through this really quick um, so that we can kind of rein in our time <laughs> timeline tonight. Scientists have discovered a trove of nearly 600 obsidian axe heads that were crafted more than 1.2 million years ago in Ethiopia by an unknown group of hominins. A family consisting of modern humans and our many extinct relatives reports a new study. Uh, this is over at Vice again, and it's Becky Ferreira who wrote this article. And uh, I hope that this is legit, right? 1.2 million years ago in Ethiopia by an unknown group of hominins. Making tools. Axe heads. Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible i mean the right? time frame and the volume of items that were found i think is astonishing it's not just it's not just rocks it's hand axes it's been crafted shaped it's amazing i think it's amazing so the discovery pushes the timeline of obsidian tool use back by an astonishing five hundred thousand years and reveals that hominins who lived in this part of ethiopia known as melka kuntari or kunturi um, must have been considerably crafted, uh, uh, skilled crafters in order to work this capricious material, because this is obsidian. So if you shear it wrong, all it does is flake, it breaks, but if you shape it right, it turns into a knife blade that is capable of cutting through leather, um, or enemies, um, one way or the other, somebody's going to get cut. So. I think it's amazing, right? And so they describe it actually in this article, and I just didn't scroll down far enough to it. Obsidian is a volcanic glass that forms from rapidly cooled lava, uh, an origin that gives this rock its typical dark color and brittle structure. As fragile and sharp gla uh, edged glass, obsidian is a useful material for making tools and weapons, uh, but those same qualities that make it uh, tricky for a sculptor um, because it can easily break and cause injury. See? I mean, everything that I just summed up, um, they said again. So, um, I, uh, have actually done that by the way, I've actually made arrowheads from obsidian, um, and I've made ax hand axes. Um, you shape it right and you can actually tie it onto a stick like a regular ax and use even more leverage to cut something, chop wood and stuff like that. It's, it's actually pretty, pretty neat. Somebody woke up one day, cut their foot on uh, a sharp obsidian rock and said, oh, there's a bigger one over there. I'm going to go get, I don't know, some beast with it. So um, 
obviously societies, cultures have relied on obsidian, just like it says here, but I really had no idea that it could be pushed that far back. Um, so kudos to what uh, eventually became us um, for uh, doing this tool making. Um, there's a whole lot more, like all Vice articles, it goes much deeper into it, um, but the nuts and bolts are that um, we've been around creating tools out of Obsidian and other things um, for a very, very long time. 1.2 million years old. What do you think? Do you, uh, you want to add anything to this? I just think the fact that that expands the time frame known by 500,000 years, which is nearly half of the time frame, is really spectacular. It doesn't seem like a lot of times these discoveries, it seems like they're normally more incremental. Um, so I, I really think this can't be overstated in terms of its impact um, to research. Yeah, it's just huge. It's huge to me. Um just makes me wonder what else is out there that's been covered by dirt and whatever else and through erosion or somebody falling in a hole somewhere and going holy cat holy crap look it's pompeii you know that's how the discoveries are made but you know what what are we ignorant of and saying that that didn't exist or you know this history is not true we just don't know it's the same thing with aliens out in space we don't know what's out there why do we constantly have people saying that it doesn't exist that doesn't exist in your worldview anyway this next article is about a uh, a 29 year old woman who in new jersey who decided that they were going to re-enroll in high school so the woman is identified as 29 year old I don't know how to pronounce this name. Hai Jiang Shin uh, by New Brunswick police and was charged with one count of providing fake government documents with the intent to verify one's age, a third degree offense. And she gave a fake birth certificate to the New Brunswick Board of Education to enroll as a student at New Brunswick High School, according to police. Now here is the kicker. Um, and this isn't even the last article for tonight. Here's the kicker. The woman was able to attend the school for four days and went to class with fellow students before she was discovered. I just picture her walking up to a crowd of people at, at the school and saying, hello, fellow young people. Well, that's exactly it. I was thinking, did she look like a high school student? But maybe I should have been thinking, did she act like a high school student? <laughs> I don't I don't know if the video actually has it, uh, but I don't play. I, I really don't play these videos. Uh, but Alejandra O'Connell uh, Dominich, I guess, is their name, uh, wrote this article for the hill.com. And uh, maybe there's a picture in here. I don't know. It's disturbing that they were able to go to school for four days and they're calling it a new brunswick school superintendent aubrey johnson called shin's matriculation quote an unfortunate event at a school board meeting tuesday night and vowed to reassess how schools verify student identities yeah no shit. you know that's a safety issue i mean i know we're kind of making light of it but it just that really is concerning because 
how do they process people for, for enrollment? Um, so this might be the main issue. The New Jersey Department of Education requires schools to immediately enroll unaccompanied children, even if they are missing records normally required for enrollment, according to the New Brunswick police. It sparked that concerns. That was probably a policy intentionally for good purposes, like maybe for um, undocumented immigrants or other people, but they might want to relook at that. Shin's presence at the school sparked concerns over her motives and about current protocols to verify student identities. Yeah. But see, that's the problem here. Like if there are dreamers who want to go into school, they don't have the paperwork, but they want an education. Bingo. Um, that's probably, but who knows, you know, it's a New Jersey policy from the Department of Education. So where did this actually spawn from? I'd be curious. I, I don't think there's more in this article. No, there isn't. Um, but I'd be curious if this is something that is from back in the day when truancy and truancy police were a thing and Oh, where they wanted high enrollment numbers, for example. Right. Yep. That's exactly it. Okay. So let's go on to the next article and the last one for tonight, um, where a professor decided that they were going, going to do, um, well, I guess, a extracurricular activity. Um, they made a statement on a hot mic in a video. Um, this is over in the law nerd channel. A professor offers an F you to, a student request. I guess somebody received an F. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the frustration isn't misplaced. The response is. So let's go over to this article. Um, Joe Patrice over at AboveTheLaw.com wrote this article. And um, they say here that it's a little caption or um, right above the byline. It says frustration isn't misplaced. The response is. Essentially what happened was um, during a class at Columbia, Capra, who is Daniel Capra, a law professor at Fordham Law and an adjunct professor at Columbia, Columbia Law, um, apparently recently discovered that microphones don't stop working just because you've stopped lecturing. Yeah, it's called a hot mic. And um, the professor's level of sympathy for this request clocked in around zilch as he dubbed falling behind on his notes as assumption of risk. So during the class, Capra's microphone picked up an exchange with a student asking him to slow down a bit for the international students because keeping up with the law class in a foreign language is not easy. Correct. Problem is, at least I'll, I can give a professor's perspective. If one professor, if, a, if professors slow down for the uh, person that is writing the slowest, then everybody loses because there's a finite amount of time available for the assignment, the lecture, everything that needs to be imparted, particularly in a law school. So I understand saying it's an assumption of risk, <laughs> um, but... So after the student walked away, Capra had more to say to himself, but he said it loud enough that it was recorded on a hot mic where he said F you um, to the student. And um, yeah, 
you know, it, it's tough being in law school and international student aside, it, it is an assumption of risk. The, the real problem is that we have this old school mentality where everything has to be taught, lectured face to face instead of here is all of the information that you're going to have to learn when you come into the classroom. It's tactical strike on all of the things that is that are lacking. I will ask questions. I won't lecture, so to speak. I think that's the new mindset that needs to be done because law school, med school, all kinds of stuff, just general college. Um, it is the same freaking thing every single day, every single year. Sometimes the context changes because you want to keep it current and, and temporarily sound. You know, you don't want to be teaching 1950s mindset in a 21st century. Well, in a, a 2023 world. So. Everything else, though, should be video on demand and you can listen to the lecture and go back and listen to it again. Write what you can, but you can watch the video on demand. The problem there is at some point you don't even need the professor. You do need somebody to answer your questions. That's why you flip the classroom. You have everybody do the work outside and in law school, you spend countless hours studying. Your nose is in a book constantly in law school, unless you're savant, right? Instant recall. 100% accuracy in all of your writing, always on point. But the old school mentality is bring you into the classroom. I lecture you about the scene, the, the thing that I lectured the last class about for two hours, three hours, however long the lecture is. But then you do it again the next semester. You do it again the next class. You do it again and again and again. It's always the same thing. This guy flubbed. A little bit um, and should never have said this on a hot mic and probably should never have said it to begin with at all. I mean, there's just no place for saying F you to a student ever. What do you think? I've been ranting for. <laughs> it's just so unprofessional and it's really kind of disheartening to students for professors to talk that way towards students. There were so many ways that this could have been answered. They could have set up a meeting with the student to talk through possible solutions. Um, but the fact that the person said this, even though it was a hot mic, honestly says something about the professor because that shouldn't be the first thing that comes to mind when a student has a concern. Yep. Um, but I, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell everybody again. Um, there's a finite amount of time, but the demeanor of this response was completely unprofessional. Um, you just don't, well, it even says it here. I hate to use the words that are in the article, but you just don't hurl profanity at a student. Um, maybe if you're in a relationship where you're hanging out with the students outside of class, because uh, in 
in some places you can do that. You can end up at a bar with other student with students and you're a professor and you end up having a casual conversation and it can be jocular um, and it's semi unprofessional. Um, but again, you're representing the school at all times. You basically have to be professional around students in the community at all times. Um, you don't hurl profanity at somebody, even under your breath. Um, wait until you get into your office and close the door and then you can scream into your pillow. Um, but you, you don't, you just don't do it. Needless to say, um, they apologized later. Um, but I, I just want to say this is a recorded, uh, apparently a recorded lecture. Um, so why not just remind the students that it's a recorded lecture and you can watch it again and get all of your notes again and again, and again, hell there's a transcript. Well, you're right. I mean, that's better than a lot of classes where if you miss the minute uh, that the professor is lecturing, that's it. <laughs> you missed your chance to jot the note down. I didn't even think about it from that up. See, it even says the class also obviously being recorded, which allows students to revisit thorny sections later. You know, this is why I appreciate distance learning, distance education, um, uh, sites like Udemy, uh, where it's video on demand and you own it forever. And it covers pretty much every uh, topic that you can imagine or out school is another one. Um, and there are others, there are many others, um, as a matter of fact. So, um, it's, it's an interesting teachable moment, um, for a professor and, um, maybe from now on, instead of saying, you know, F you to a, the teacher or to the student, he can remind that all of this is recorded so you can go back to it um, at any time. I still think that it's weird that we now in this day and age lecture again and again and again the same topics. And instead of having the students watch the lecture, and then come into class prepared to argue the topics, but not lecture. Basically say, okay, what did we learn via the videos um, since our last session? And you're gonna be bombarded with these videos and have to absorb all of the information because there isn't any unique tilt here, right? Student and law student after law student after law student, they always ask the same questions. Why? Because this is a lecture designed to push a, a, a potential attorney into thinking like an attorney. And these professors know what's coming because they've been doing it so long and they work in that field. If somebody ever asks a professor a, a question that um, catches them off guard, then they're a brand new professor, never having set foot in a classroom before. And even then, particularly in law, you should probably have already gone through this process and worked in the field. There are no new questions. There's only a different, slightly different context, particularly in school. And usually that question is a question that's so off the wall that it doesn't even, it's not on point for that particular topic. 
interesting, but all the same. Shouldn't have said F you to the student. So bad professor, bad professor. So AI, do you think that you want to represent somebody like um, do not pay? You want to go to court and represent somebody? No, because I also don't want to be pursued by uh, state bars <laughs> for <laughs> unauthorized practice of law. <laughs> oh, that's right. You you are uh, a non-practicing entity. <laughs> anyway, law GPT. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, everybody. I want to thank you for coming to the Hometown Daily News Show um, for January 27th, 2023. Let's see. Don't forget, go over to YouTube and like and subscribe and uh, make a comment over there. There's a Discord. You can get it uh, down below. There's a, a link to the Discord, although I don't really do much there, but it would be great to see people log in there. Um, there's a Twitter. There's uh, the podcast. And of course, we're here every day, 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, Again, I am Mayor Watt, that is hometown.com, and up there is the visualizer for the AI from on high. Want to say goodnight to everybody? Yes, goodnight, hometown citizens. We hope to see you tomorrow night. We will see you tomorrow night, right? You'll be here. Throw some words we in will. the chat. We will, and I was going to ask, are you going to be doing VR? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to reevaluate. I think that maybe um, Saturday day would be a better time frame um, instead of starting at 10 o'clock. Um, I might do it closer to like 10 o'clock on Saturdays and just make all day a VR day and then end with um, the hometown daily news show. Um, I think that might work. Uh, get like a good five to six hours worth of vr in um, and i have this really cool solution where because i'm wireless um, it loses its charge but i have these little battery packs and i've got uh, three of them right now so i can do up to nine hours of vr in a single run and have reserve so um, i can actually swap them out they're all hot swappable pretty amazing stuff out there um, i hope that i can get it going um, and that's it so we'll see you tomorrow and yeah, definitely for hometown daily news show. And, um, I might do some testing with, um, the VR tomorrow, but not tonight. Okay. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>